0: Well, good morning, everybody. Today is the uh, start of part two of Systematic Theology. And it looks like I scared off some folks with the term Systematic Theology. So we'll maybe change the name of something there. Uh, bait and switch next time. I like that. So uh, if you've got your handouts, uh, we'll start right away. The introduction and review, uh, just to cover some things that we looked at the last time in part one of Systematic Theology. Um, and the idea here is that the primary textbook for the structure of this series is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, and the primary text for the substance of this series is the Bible. So we're using Grudem's Systematic Theology, uh, it's about eleven, twelve hundred 1200 pages or so uh, to kind of guide through where things are, what it looks like, uh, but obviously the material itself comes from the scripture, so important designation to make. Um, so you might ask, so what is systematic theology? It's a pretty good question. Um, Grudem defines it as answering the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? So you may remember when we started this series, um, there was a long table in the middle of the class and it had a whole bunch of stuff on it. You may remember what it was on it? Lego, Lego pieces, yes. There were Lego sets. So we, we had my son bring in his Lego sets and we set them all up. and There were, I don't know. And a truly obnoxious number of Lego sets um, and it's the reason he will attend Chattanooga State Christian uh, Community College as opposed to a college that is more expensive because we have spent too much money on Legos um, but we'll cover that later uh, and so we had all these Lego sets and we talked about when you, when you study the Bible topically versus you study the Bible um, sequentially uh, typically what we see in most churches and, and both are good uh, is that you pick up a Lego set and you look at it and you examine it and you look at this text of the scripture and we look at the scripture this way, slices of it. And what systematic theology does is systematic theology looks at the whole length of the table all the way down the table and it looks at all the different pieces that exist in all the different parts of the story. So it's a very long, wise view of of the scripture. So what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? Um, the words itself, systematic, just means carefully organized. So if you are a organized, neat, structured, uh, everything's got a place type person, you might be called systematic. So how many of you are, are that? The organized, neat, structured people in your family? Yes. How many of you hate those people? <clears throat> and how many of you don't hate them, but you're just not that person? Right? Okay. Good. And uh, then theology is obviously just the study of uh, religious truths uh, about God and other things. So quick review of part one, the doctrine of the Word of God. We did that earlier this calendar year in February, March, and April. So we answered several questions there. Um, Introduction to systematic theology. Why should we study it? Um, I really like Grudem's answers here. Why should we study it? One is to fulfill the Great Commission. So what were some of the commands that were given to us in the Great Commission? We'll start off with easy questions in Sunday school today go, right? So there's some movement commanded there. And then do what? Teach, Teach right? Teach what? Yeah. So, so we're, we're teaching people and we're training and making disciples. We're sharing this information, which is good. So uh, if we have a systematic way to deliver religious truth, Perhaps, just perhaps, I'm not going to say it must, but perhaps that makes this concept easier for uh, creating disciples. Now, the the second reason he's got listed, and this is not in your notes, uh, why we should study systematic theology is to confront sin in our lives. And the reality is a lot of us, when we look at Scripture, we like to go and here's a passage that I really like. That's good. And here's another passage that I really like, and that's good. Here's another passage that I really like. But when we're forced to evaluate what the entire uh, truth of the Word of God says about a topic... It is hard to hide from those places that we don't like to go, uh, because we eventually end up getting confronted with things that will address sin in our life. So, so it's a uh, a no way out almost look at the world. Uh, and then, uh, Grudem's third answer here is to be able to make better decisions later about new questions around theology that come up. And one of the things I love about the scripture is that it is sufficient for everything that we need. So. No matter what pops up later on in our lives, the answers will be able to come from the truth of God's Word. And there's, it's a reassuring concept there. So we looked at the introduction to systematic theology. We looked at what are the different forms of the Word of God, what belongs in the Bible, what does not belong. Uh, how do we know the Bible is God's Word? Are there errors in the Bible? Can only Bible scholars understand the Bible? Uh, for what purposes are the Bible necessary? How much can people know about the Bible without, how much can people know about God without the Bible? And then is the Bible enough for knowing what God wants us to do? So, lots and lots of different things. And I think I've listed in your handout the seven big sections. So, that was section one, it was part one. Uh, and then we're going to start today in part two, the doctrine of God, and go from today all the way through the end of November. Uh, and that'll cover things like how do we know God exists? Um, how much of God can we know? How different is God from us? Um, how is God like us in his being and his mental and moral attributes? Uh, How is God like us in the attributes of His will and attributes that summarize His excellence? How can God be three persons, yet one God? Um, So really easy questions, right? Um, Some other things, why, how, and when did God create the universe? So some things that will provoke conversation and discussion. Uh, If God controls all things, how can our actions reveal meaning? Uh, What are the decrees of God? What are miracles? Can they happen today? Why does God want us to pray? How can we pray effectively? Uh, Where are angels and demons and Satan, and how do we... Reconcile all of that. So all that's going to be lumped into the doctrine of God. And then next year, it's probably early in 2015, we'll look at the doctrine of man, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And then early 2016, actually late 2015, we'll look at the application of redemption, which is Grudem's way of saying salvation. And then in 16, we'll finish up. So uh, long term here, this is not intended to be a, we're done in two weeks. This is complex, long stuff at times. Uh, but I do like the way Grudem lays things out. So, so the explanation and scriptural basis, we kind of get into today's lesson. So how do we know that God exists? So if somebody asked you that question, how do you know God exists, what would your answer be? Don't look at your notes. What would your answer be? You may not agree with the answers in the notes.
1: Because we're looking for
0: him. Because we're looking for him, Okay. So I'm looking for unicorns too, but I've never found a unicorn. So.
1: Really? <laughs>
0: okay, you set yourself up for this one. You are a special and unique snowflake and unicorn, Albert. That is wonderful. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so, what do you think? Why does God exist? How do we know God exists? Dave? He's revealed Himself in
1: creation.
0: He's revealed Himself in creation. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. He what? He saved me and talks to me. Yes, he made a difference in my life. Good. What else? He was Gave us the scripture, right? There's some good things in there. What else? Because he was on the earth. Jesus he was on the earth. We got to experience him in the flesh, right? Literally in the flesh. good What else? Dave? At some level,
1: all people know that he exists because he was,
0: we were created in his image. Okay. At some level, all people know he exists because we were created in his image. What else? You guys are teaching the lesson, by the way. This is cool. You get almost every single point in the lesson. So you're as smart as Wayne Grudem. Boom. You like that? That was fantastic.
1: <laughs>
0: morality. right? So there's, there's morality in the world. So where did that come from? Good. Good questions. All right, so, so these are the things that we're going to look at, and we're going to put some scripture behind where you know that you can hang your hat on those truths. So, so how do we know that God exists? Uh, so number one, we'll start with what Dave talked about, humanity's inner sense of God, I-N-N-E-R, humanity's inner sense of God. So go take your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter one. We're going to be at Romans for just a little bit today, so. Romans chapter one. Now this, text that, this passage that I'm going to read is actually going to answer several of the sections and then we'll just kind of go back and pick some of the verses that individually speak to the components that we're on. So humanity's inner sense of God, Romans 1, verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what we may... what Wow. Because what may be made known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. See that? God has shown it to what's manifested in them. God has shown it to them. So there's some inner understanding of God inside man. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Which I think is a beautiful piece of poetry right here in the middle of the Bible, right? So this, the invisible is clearly seen. Absolutely, it is. Who said nature? Who who, who was it? Was it also that? Yep. So we see this in creation, right? Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Who's the they? Us, right? We're all in this boat together, right? So we are all without excuse because God has made himself uh, aware. God has made us aware of himself inside us and all the things around us. So, internally and externally. So, verse 21, "...because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." And we don't have anybody like that on the planet, do we? Nobody like that on the planet. "...and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-legged animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts." to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for the lie. How many of your Bibles have that article in front of the word lie? The lie. It's very specific in the Greek. It's, It's single. There is one lie that is being discussed here. And the lie is that God does not exist. Because this whole section is arguing for the fact that God exists and that He has put this Existence, This knowledge of existence inside us and all around us. So we exchange this truth of the reality that God exists for the lie that He doesn't. And we have served and worshipped the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. So we see pretty straightforward that there is an inner sense of God. Now, now, does everybody accept this inner sense of God? No. Some people deny this, right? Some people deny this. So I've got three verses listed there. I want somebody to look up Psalm 14.1. Who's got Psalm fourteen one? Raise your hand for me. Who's got it? Dave's got fourteen one. I want somebody to look up Psalm 53 1. Who's got Psalm 531? Abby? And then Psalm 10, verses 3 and 4. Who's got Psalm 10, 3, and 4? Keith. Excellent. So which one did you have, Dave? Psalm
1: 141. Psalm
0: 141. Excellent. Now make sure you get it right, because I want to make sure these are you double check your verse, okay? Yeah. Psalm 141. Excellent. Go for it.
1: The fool has said in his heart, there is no God.
0: The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay. Abby, which verse did you have? 53.1. Psalm are you And you're looking at mm-hmm. Psalm 53.1. Now, this is important. The, the Scripture is important. We want to handle it properly. I want to make sure that you are not reading Psalm 14.1. Mm-hmm. You're reading Psalm 53.1, correct? Uh, nice and loud for us.
1: The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God.
0: I'm sorry. So I asked you to read Psalm 53.1, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Dave read Psalm 14.1. So, and Psalm 14.1 was what, Dave? So now Dave's got his right, Abby, okay? So Dave has read the right verse, and you're telling me that that same phrase shows up in Psalm 53, one. It's pretty, important. it's pretty important, isn't it? Yeah. So why in the world would God need to repeat himself?
1: Because
0: we're the fools, <laughs> and fools take uh, a lot of time to get things beaten into their skulls, so... Yeah, when you see these concepts repeated, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Absolutely. So if you want to have and know and be able to quickly identify who who God himself says is a fool, anybody who denies the existence of God, God says that person's a fool. Okay? Now, that is not a popular or inclusive or politically correct or whatever HR word you want to slide in right here for getting along with everybody, but the reality is God exists, and if you say he doesn't, you're a fool. So what was the other? uh got Psalm 10, 3, and 4, right? Yeah. So this is not the same word. So if you're looking down looking for the same words, it's not. Okay, good. <laughs> right. I want to mess with your head there. All right, here we go. Uh, he boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greeting and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. So so why does the wicked man not think about God? Because it's all about me. It is all about I am. I am the supreme creation. Oh, you really can't even use the word creation, right? I am the supreme object in the universe. Because, and, and if I'm the supreme object, that doesn't leave any room for God. I don't, I don't have room for God in my thoughts because I am consumed with myself. So the fool puts himself above God. And in reality, God is above all. So this is, the, this is the reasoning that the scripture gives us here. So why would people do this? Why would somebody say there is no God? The answer is in Romans 1.18. <laughs> Sin. The unrighteousness. All of this stuff. We live in a broken fallen morally corrupt world and when we deny that there is a god we are being fools so what about the believer though because the believer has said there is a god the believer has said his son is jesus christ the believer says that the death burial and the resurrection of jesus christ is the gospel and that i am putting my faith in that so what about the believer what's the believer's relationship um, With God, as far as this awareness. Well, Grudem, he's got a good quote here. It says, In the life of a Christian, this inner awareness of God becomes stronger and more distinct. And if you think about, if you think about your relationship with God, if you're a believer, your relationship with God, it started with, um, actually it started before you existed, which is kind of cool. And the calling and all of these things are, are before. And then you're aware of God, right? We become aware of God, We become aware of our deficiency. We become aware of his sufficiency. We accept this, and we become into relationship with God. Now, here's my question. Do you know more about God now or less about God now than the day you got saved? (laughs) That was a good answer. From a knowledge perspective, do you know more about God now or less about God now than the day you got saved? More, right? Okay. From a relationship perspective, more or less? Who said less? Why less? I'm interested in the answer. Um, just because I grew up, I was taught a different perspective. Okay. Not the scripture says. Okay. So, so now you have a, a better perspective, you think? Okay, so now you would know more about God and who He is and that relationship with Him? Maybe? Okay, cool. I would agree. Um, let's look at John chapter 14. We're going to look at several different verses here in rapid succession, so be ready to flip around. We're going to look at all those that are listed right there after that uh, quote with the blank. John chapter 14. I didn't have room to put them all in the handout, so the handout would have been like nine pages long, so. John fourteen twenty three. Who's got it? This is the Bible question portion of the day. Yes, yeah, Stephen.
1: Okay. Jesus answered and said to him, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to make our home with him."
0: And we will come to make our home with him. So let's think about this. Um, somebody, flip over to Ephesians three seventeen for me. We will come to make our home with him. So, has anybody ever lived with anybody else? Right? We've we've all lived with somebody else. Do you feel like you know somebody that you live with better or worse after having lived with them? Better. 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 Right, okay, good. So, I'm trying to keep the the questions really straightforward today. No trick questions today. (laughs) So we feel like we know them better after living with them. So when the God of the universe says, I am going to live, what was the, what was the verse again? The end of the verse? Uh, we will make our...
1: We will, come to make, we will come to him and make our home with
0: him. We will make our home with him. When the God of the universe says, I'm going to come and make our home with him, what do you think happens to that relationship? There's a lot more interaction, right? There's a lot more opportunity for engagement. Absolutely. So I didn't phrase my my, uh, response right. From our understanding, there's a lot more engagement and understanding of God. Yes, so whether God is wherever He is, He knows. Absolutely. Thank you for helping me clarify that. I appreciate that. Um, Y'all, don't assume that I get it right, okay? (laughs) Because I will get up here and say things all mixed up sometimes. Um, I couldn't even get verse 19 out of it. Stumbling several times, so you know it works that way. Who's got Ephesians 3.17? Miss Abby? Now this is not Psalm fifty-three one, right? Okay, good. Ephesians 3.17.
1: That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love.
0: Excellent. So who wrote Ephesians? Paul wrote Ephesians. And Paul is he's writing, he's on behalf of of the Holy Spirit here. He's writing what the Holy Spirit tells him to write. And he's saying, I want you to have something. What's the beginning of the verse again? Uh, that Christ may, dwell in your heart. that qu- Christ may dwell in our hearts. So Stephen read about that Jesus and the Father are going to make a home with us. We know that Christ is dwelling in our hearts. We also know the concept of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> the, the whole Trinity is involved in this process of, of being with us. Now, let's go back to... Let's go back to the first person that you weren't family with that you ever lived with. Okay, so not your mama, not your daddy, not your brothers, not your sisters. So maybe a college roommate, maybe a spouse, maybe a friend, um, maybe a story we don't want to talk about. Um, but what, tell me something that you learned about one of those people that you were not family with when you, when you lived with them. <laughs> she's crazy? Yeah. There are a lot of crazy people in the world, aren't there? Yeah. I agree. Um, Many of you know uh, Stephen Samsel and his wife, Rachel. And I actually was a roommate of Stephen's Stephen's sister's husband, yes. And he's a really nice guy. And, uh... He's a really nice guy. Loves Jesus. He really does. Um, And he does not shut up. And and one of the things that I learned is that some people like to talk at night when when some people like to sleep. Um, And some people... Some people read themselves to sleep, some people exercise themselves to sleep, and some people talk themselves to sleep. <laughs> so it was 2.15 in the morning, the first night that we roomed together, and I finally, I was on the top bunk, he's on the bottom bunk, I'm just like, okay, all right, grace is over. <laughs> Patience has run out, you have got to shut up, okay, I have got to go to sleep. So, and tomorrow, we're not doing this. Tomorrow, you're going to stop talking at 11 o'clock. So you learn things about people, right? I learned something about myself, that I had a limit. I could... (laughs) He learned it, too, (laughs) right? Uh, I was at a different college, and we had a guy across the hallway, um, and I don't know if you ever roomed with anybody that uses an alarm clock and sets it really, really loud. And if that's not your thing, you'll know that real quick, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious real quick. Well, this guy is not in the same room as I am. He's across the hallway. And his alarm would go off, and I heard it. I'm like, well, first thing. I mean, that's just obnoxious, right? So, Both doors are closed. We shouldn't be able to do that. And the next thing I learned seven minutes later was that he liked the snooze snooze button, right? And then seven minutes later, and seven minutes later, seven minutes later. So I I introduced myself to him. (laughs) I'll tell you all that story one day, and uh, I said, you know, I would really appreciate if you did not do this again, that uh, tomorrow morning, when that alarm clock goes off, that you either get up or unplug it, because you're, you know, I didn't want to get up at that time, and uh, so the next morning, um, alarm clock went off, and seven minutes later, seven minutes later, seven minutes later, so I got up, and I introduced myself again, uh, said the exact same thing, I said uh, so. So my high school principal taught me something very valuable. One's one, two's two, three's a pattern. We deal with patterns. So this is two. Uh, Tomorrow I'm going to deal with it if this happens again. Wake up the next morning, alarm clock goes off. Seven minutes later. Seven minutes later. Seven minutes later. I said, okay, I can take care of this. Now, I worked ground maintenance, grounds maintenance, at the college that I was at. I know it's hard for some of you to imagine. I was purposefully outside (laughs) (laughs) for extended periods of time, right? There was sweat involved. Yes, there was. Yes, there was. Um, That was that was uh, eighty pounds ago, Sean. Yes, Uh, literally. (laughs) Wow, that's scary. And uh, and so he got up, and finally it stopped beeping, and um, he went to the shower to go get a shower, and I went in his room, and I procured his alarm clock, and I proceeded to take it with me to work that day, and it is buried on the back half of the Bob Jones University campus, never to be found again. And, and I told him what I did. And uh, I went and bought him a new alarm clock, and this one did not have a snooze function. So he had to get up. And uh, we changed behavior. But I learned something about myself again, is that I, I still had a limit. <laughs> Um, so you learn things when you spend time with people. So that's my point. Yeah. And the more the Trinity spends time with us, the more we learn about ourselves, and the more we learn about the Trinity. Uh, and it is a good thing for all involved. Yes, Sean? Are there, there are no bodies. There are no bodies that I'm aware of, or that I participated in, in any shape or form, uh, burying anything like that. So, <clears throat> all right. So let's look at uh, one Peter one eight. One Peter one eight. I like to see sometimes both the. Uh, the initial repercussions of some action of God and then the longer-term repercussions of some action of God. So the initial repercussions of this God being with us really lends itself toward we understand God more, uh, we have a better relationship. But some of the longer-term attributes, I think, are in First Peter 1.8. So who's got that? Not all at once now. with the glorious, inexpressible joy. So this person that we have never physically met in the flesh, the result for us of this relationship is glorious, inexpressible joy. Is that pretty cool? I think that's pretty cool. This unseen God causes joy. So, so this first point, this first long point of humanity's inner sense of God. So the second is the believing, uh, believing the evidence. Big Number two there, maybe on the back side of your handout. <laughs> believing, or maybe at the bottom, believing the evidence in Scripture and nature. So the evidence in Scripture and nature. Um, now, the Bible clearly teaches that God exists, right? I mean, thank you, Captain Obvious. Right? This, is, this is as basic as it gets. So somebody quote Genesis 1-1 for me. In the beginning, God. So we get four words in, and we've established who the main character of the book is. I, I like the Bible because it doesn't hide things. It's not a, oh, I wonder, I wonder what this book is about. It's about the first character that's ever mentioned. It's about God. It continues to unveil this relationship that man has with God, uh, but it's it's all about God. And then, obviously, we also see this in nature. Um, who's got Acts fourteen seventeen, Acts fourteen seventeen, and then Psalm nineteen one. Who did not leave himself? What are the? Tell me about the pronouns in that sentence. They are capitalized. So we're talking about God. But he did good. The rain and the seasons are good. They are evidences of God and that he exists in the world. Now, <clears throat> I think there is more evidence in some places than in other places because if you go to places like Mobile, Alabama, there are two seasons. There is obnoxiously humid, and then there's a little bit less than obnoxiously humid. Um, I wouldn't classify fall, spring, or winter. It just kind of lessens the severity of summer as you go there. Um, I love you, dear. Um, and I'm and I'm so thrilled that we do not live in Mobile, <laughs> Uh But the seasons that we see—every time you see the seasons change—that's evidence of God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So, so when when Facebook explodes with pumpkin spice lattes, um, next time you see one of those, you just go. That's that's evidence of God because it's a new season. It's time to do something else. That's a stretch, right there, wasn't it? That was a stretch. Getting to the pump. Okay, all right. I wasn't sure. I thought I'd throw it out there and just see. So, who's got Psalm 19:1? Psalm nineteen one. Yes, Mitch. The heavens
1: declare the glory of
0: God. And the oh no, no 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 no! This is a verse that you gotta. I mean, you, you get you gotta give some oomph to. Okay. Okay.
1: The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork.
0: So the heavens declare the glory of God. You ever have you ever been on a mountain? on a mountaintop at night and being able to see the stars. I'm not not talking about, so I live a mile from here. You can't see anything when you look up. I don't care if it's a clear night or not. You can see like the North Star, that's it, it's nothing. I'm talking about in the middle of the boondocks, there is nothing else around. It's 50 miles to the nearest city on a clear night. Have you ever seen the stars like that? Does it not just absolutely take your breath away? I got to watch a meteor shower on the top of a mountain in North Carolina once. I still, I, I can't describe it. It's just absolutely unfathomable to me that he knows every one of their names and he made those also. Right? And then, what's the second half of the verse? The firmament...
1: And the firmament shows his handiwork.
0: The firmament's the firm part, right? So that's the stuff we're standing on. Shows his handiwork. His handiwork. He, he did that. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's all around us. It's spectacularly beautiful. Now, um, so we'll move into point number three here traditional proofs for the existence of God. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on these, one because a couple of them are just ridiculously complicated. Uh, so we'll look at the first one, which is the cosmological argument, which is everything has a cause. So if I walk over to this table and I pick up this pen and I hold it out, if I drop this pen, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. Why is it going to fall? Because of gravity. <clears throat> Why does gravity work? Because the earth's bigger than this, <laughs> right? So, now how many of you believe that if I drop this pen, it's going to fall? Unless I do a magic trick, right? So, so you're getting ready for me to trick you, right? Yeah. That, would, that would be cool, though, wouldn't it? So like, maybe I think really hard and use the force or something, or I don't know. Or, I don't know we have to do that. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I know, right? Sorry. It's probably disrespectful, but that's, that's my head. Um, So if I drop this, why does it fall? And you guys said gravity, which really, really isn't why it's falling. It's falling because I what? Because I let go of it. Because it has a cause. (laughs) The cause and the result. So the cause, everything has a cause. So let's back up. What's the cause of the thing before, the thing before, the thing before, the thing before, the thing before? The cause of the universe is what? God, All right? So now the next question I'll mess with your head. What's the cause of God? It's God, yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of God, right? Um, so this cosmological argument that everything has a cause. The, the second one, the teleological. You like that word? Teleological. Um, everything has a purpose. <clears throat> so so I, I got a new shirt. Whoops, well, oh, it's really loud. i look down and talk. Um, I got a new shirt and this shirt has a purpose. What is the purpose? To cover up my big fat belly, yes. Um, what is another purpose? To keep me warm, yes. What is another purpose? Make to make her happy. Yeah. I was just going to say, we have not gotten to the real purpose yet because there is no way on God's green earth that I would buy a shirt this color other than to make her happy. So this is why we bought this shirt. Um, I like white shirts, and I like dark blue shirts, and I'm happy to wear only white shirts and only dark blue shirts and the occasional black UFC tap-out shirt. Um, but that's about it. I'm, I'm good with that. That's Or Star Wars. I'm good with Star Wars. Um, but yeah, there's a purpose. So since we have purpose, who gave that purpose? Where did that purpose come from? That purpose had to have a purpose, had to have a purpose. Kind of the same concept as the cosmological argument is that we back that up. The purpose is God. Uh, the ontological argument. Anybody know what this is talking about? Ontological. So I read his paragraphs on this at least ten times. I read the Wikipedia article about this. I have no clue what he's talking about. This makes no sense. I kid, I kid you not. I have no clue what this means. So if somebody wants to go do a spy, science experiment this week and figure this out and explain it to me, I would love to understand that don't go look it up now, all you Googlers or Googling ontological and it's, it's going to correct you because it doesn't think that's even a word okay uh, and then the fourth is the moral arguments and this is what Albert talked about uh, earlier when we did the Q&A so the right and the wrong exists so where did that right and wrong come from where did that, where did that innate sense of right and wrong come from that's right it came from God so that the, the fact that it even exists implies that somebody put it in our hearts put it in our DNA which is great Now, the the problem with these four is the problem with any argument in that logic doesn't convert. Does this make sense? So logic doesn't convert. Um, What converts? Yeah, the the Word of God. Uh, The Word of God is actively working in the hearts of those that don't believe in order to draw, Holy Spirit draws, in order to convert the sinner, we looked at this long series last year, or maybe it was earlier this year. This uh, ordo salutis, this process, this order of salvation, all these different things that are happening. And while these arguments help to give us some ways to express it, some ideas on how to frame it and structure it, this is not the point. The point is, people don't believe that God exists because they're fools and because of sin. Sin has blinded, and only until that blindness of sin comes off can anybody understand that there is a God. So, so please understand, while I love, and this is why I didn't beat myself up over not understanding what ontological meant, because, cool. If I can figure it out, that's awesome. If I don't, guess what? The Bible says it, I'm good with that. Uh, so then number four, only God, this is the point here, can overcome our sin and enable us to be persuaded of His existence. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 5. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Until the gospel enlightens the pagan, there is no enlightenment. It's just the way this works. So we can argue... Logic, we can argue science, we can argue all these other things as long as we want to, and that doesn't convert. Does that make sense? That's my big aha of this entire lesson today, is that what's the real thing? The real thing is the Scripture and the Word of God and the drawing and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. All right, so questions for personal application. We're not going to go through those. This is part of your homework, okay, is to ask, is to ask yourselves those questions, all right. And then that next section is the scripture memory passage. So this is, um, if you will recall, the the first time that we did this first part of systematic theology. Um, we'll start next week's class with anybody can say these. And if you can say these, I'll have a book or a CD or something cool up here that you can take with you uh, as our gift. Uh, if you can say those verses, and then I'm going to end with a hymn. So I'm going to read. The, I'm going to read, read the hymn. I'm not going to sing the hymn, <laughs> yes. I, I, was, I was sure somebody was going to say amen. i just keep singing to somebody. did. So this is The Spacious Firmament on High. This was not written in the last 20 years. You will figure that out very quickly by Joseph Addison. The spacious firmament on high with all the blue ethereal sky and spangled heavens, a shining frame, their great original proclaim. The unwearied sun from day to day does his creator's power display and publishes to every land the work of an almighty hand. Soon as the evening shades prevail, the moon takes up the wondrous tale and nightly to the listening earth repeats the story of her birth. Whilst all the stars that round her burn and all the planets in their turn confirm the tidings as they roll and spread the truth from pole to pole. What though in solemn silence all move round this dark terrestrial ball, what though nor real voice nor sound amidst their radiant orbs be found. In reason's ear they all rejoice and utter forth a glorious voice. Forever singing as they shine, the hand that made us is divine. I love that. I've heard that probably 50 times this week and it's just beautiful. The hand that made us is divine. How do we know God exists? He put it in our hearts and He surrounded us with it. And He overwhelms us with the evidence of His existence and it is good amen amen Amen. all right so on your tables is a piece of paper if you will take a minute to write out any prayer requests that you have you'll notice that on the right hand side of that piece of paper we've got some ongoing prayer requests that have been listed so we can we're going to just kind of add to these as you get to the point where you want to uh, take one of those off just let us know we'll take those off uh, but this would be a good way for if you shared a prayer request last week and you're not here this week, we'll, we'll continue to pray for that if you'd like. So a space is there for new prayer requests and then for ongoing prayer requests as well. Fill that out for us. Pray as a group, and uh, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today.